And I want to speak about giving that stretches us. Giving that stretches. And uh, my meditation will be from a passage in 1 Kings chapter 17. I have preached on this way before, uh, but I want to give it a different interpretation, a different twist, if you will, in the light of what we are going to do this morning. So chapter 17, First uh, Kings, uh, begin with verse uh, 7, and it's speaking about Elijah. Elijah is running away from a, an angry king because God has told Elijah, withhold rain until I tell you to release it again because of the uh, sinfulness of uh, Israel, of these sinful kings, Ahab and uh, Jezebel. And so he's running from the king, and he has been in a brook uh, receiving food from crows and, and water from the ravine uh, where he's been for a while hiding away. But now the water in the brook runs dry. And so this is where we take the, the narration in verse, verse 7, chapter 17. Sometime later, the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. You know, adversity comes even to those who are in the very center of God's will. God has been provided supernaturally, but uh, other natural elements intervene, and now it's time to go into a next level. God wants to take his prophet into a new stage of uh, teaching and drama, and he's preparing a huge drama for our blessing 2,000, almost 20 years later, or more, 3,000 really, years afterwards. Here we are, Uh, getting the benefit of this drama. So the brook dries up. There's been no rain in the land. And then the word of the Lord came to Elijah, go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon and stay there. I have directed a widow there to supply you with food. Very ironic. God says, I've given orders. I've told her. But uh, you'll see that when he gets there, the widow has no clue in very mysterious ways, and we'll talk about that. I have directed a widow there to supply you with food. So he went to Zarephath, and when he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her and asked, would you bring me a little water in a jar so I may have a drink? As she was going to get it, he called, oh, and bring me, please, a piece of bread. As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread. Only a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil in a jug. I am gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. What uh, somber, pessimistic words. I, I don't think there have been more images in the Bible that are more pessimistic than that. Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go home and do as you have said, but first make a small loaf of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me, and then make something for yourself and your son. Notice the order of what Elijah suggests to her, which is somewhat scandalous, really. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says, The jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the land. She went away and did as Elijah had told her. What was the result? So there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family. 
for the jar of flour, the, the, the jar of flour was not used up, and the jug of oil will, did not run dry. Um, did not run dry in keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. We bless the word of the Lord. You know, for the past few years, my brothers and sisters, we have been collecting this Thanksgiving offering as a way of, number one, expressing our gratitude to God for the many blessings we receive from him in the course of the year. It's one of the reasons why we collect this offering, gratitude. Secondly, it's been a way of supporting special projects of the church. I remember one year we used it to um, repair a lot of the uh, parking lot downstairs that needed to be resurfaced and uh, the, the ceiling also needed to be insulated um, and so on and so forth. So, you know, we have taken these offerings sometimes to support special projects of the church. And, and thirdly, it's been also a way of uh, just strengthening the general finances of the church and making up for fluctuations in our income. Sometimes during the summer, you know, people leave and uh, go traveling and so on. This is a way of uh, stabilizing, a way in, in a sense, the economy of Lion of Judah. You know, when you give to Lion of Judah, your church that you attend, you, you're not only advancing the kingdom of God in an abstract sort of way. You're not only giving in a generic kind of way because that's what Christians do. You are also supporting, as we saw uh, last Sunday in that little video that we showed, you're supporting many ministries which bless um, the many people in our city and even around the world. You, you bless Haitian and uh, Dominican families um, in the western part of the country, very isolated part of the country. Um, and you allow for the gospel to be preached there through our Lazos de Amor ministry. Great stuff that is done there socially and evangelistically. You, you support African orphans uh, and the, the Brazilian missionaries who take care of them in uh, Africa. You help uh, burn victims who come from, from all over uh, Latin America to the Shriners Hospital in Boston. You've seen many of these beautiful children badly scarred because of uh, terrible burn accidents in their countries. And they come here, and uh, sometimes they don't have family, or never, seldom do they have any family here. And the hospital gives them a place to stay and uh, uh, some food and, and medical care, but they are lost. And Lion of Judah for many years has given these uh, beautiful, beautiful young people, children, uh, their parents who come to accompany them, a place for them to feel warm and loved and accepted. It's an amazing ministry, one that we're particularly grateful to the Lord that he has given us the opportunity to engage in. You also contribute to evangelism and health care in uh, parts of in Honduras. For example, uh, you know our um, uh, workers who have gone there this, uh, in an English-speaking part of Honduras to um, be ministered to. And uh, the English ministry in particular is very involved in that endeavor and you send Christmas gifts to children in many parts of the world. Several hundred boxes um, were sent by Congregation Lion of Judah to children all over the world for Christmas gifts to preach the gospel and to encourage them. You are supporting that kind of ministry through your tithes, through your offerings, and through this um, particular gift. You, you support missionaries in, in Kyrgyzstan as well. Doug and uh, Debbie's uh, YWAM 
children who, who are there in Kyrgyzstan doing amazing work among our, uh, Muslim people in that very, very far away nation. You, you help African-American Latino students enter college and stay there. Did you know that uh, this past week we got the notice that the Higher Education Resource Center won probably the most um, uh, demanding competition of any that takes place among uh, nonprofit organizations here in Boston. I don't remember the particular name of it, but um, about 300 nonprofit, excellent nonprofit organizations compete. And it's a very demanding process to get one particular grant, which is uh, extraordinary. It's, it's not just money. The money is not a lot, but it's designed to transform uh, an organization and take them to the next level. And uh, Lion of Judah, HERC, the Higher Education Research Center, won because of its excellence and because of the work that it does. This year, we were absolutely delighted. Um, we were among the, there was a semi-finalist, finalists, and then you know, we were chosen. And it's a very thorough examination, financially, organizationally, and Lion of Judah won this year. And it's, it's very promising. So, you know, you're supporting excellent, excellent ministries um, uh, like that. And through the work of Alpha, our immigration ministry, you help immigrants to get their citizenship papers and to be reunited with their families. Uh, uh, you help homeless individuals in this city to get clothing during winter and breakfast on Saturdays and to hear the gospel as well. So these are, these are amazing things. If you, somebody could put that phone uh, down, I would appreciate it. <laughs> so, um, you know, breakfast on Saturdays, but it's not just breakfast. We preach the gospel. We, we allow homeless individuals, men and women, to worship the Lord. An amazing, amazing time when we cooperate with other churches. You help them to hear God's word when they come into the church. So, you know, you help many souls in the city of Boston and around. Um, uh, uh, save many of them. Many of them come to Lion of Judah and are transformed as a result of So these are all the things that you, I say this because it's easy sometimes to lose sight of what it is that you're giving to and what you're giving for. And it's not just, of course, the most important thing is just the proclamation of the gospel. For a congregation like, our, like ours to have a place in the city, to express Christ in the city, um, to be an eloquent expression of unity and uh, harmony among races and ethnic groups that you, you seldom see anywhere in this nation, especially that is so polarized as it is in this time. But Lion of Judah is a place of unity and harmony and ethnic peace, and we thank the Lord for that, and we give him glory and honor. So all this and much more is accomplished um, as you give to the Lord. Now, the widow in this uh, narrative that I just read, um, also, she, she was a generous supporter of God's kingdom. She turned out to be that. And she gave to God's prophet in a very concrete way. Elijah asked her for, give me a piece of bread and some water. I mean, you don't get more specific than that. And that, that, but, but there are some very powerful uh, scriptural, spiritual principles that come out from this passage that I've just read. I'm going to just mention four of them for you. And um, these, these principles should help you to feel uh, encouraged, should help you feel enthusiastic and free to give to the Lord in this extraordinary way. Number one, what, what do we see in this passage? First, we see that God himself directed this widow to give to his prophet. 
In verse 9, he says, I have directed a widow there to supply you with food. God directly speaks to the spirit of this woman. He directed her spirit. You know, she was not consciously aware of what God had done. You see that this is done before Elijah meets this woman. But God is saying, I have already directed her to do that. You know, sometimes our mind, our mind is the last to be informed of God's directions for our life, you know. It is the last piece of our constitution to be convinced many times. You know, when we are called to give to the Lord, we all of a sudden turn into mathematicians and economists. And we start thinking of how much do we have, how much we don't have, how, how much we have to pay yet, and how much month is left uh, to our dollar, and so on and so forth. And, uh, you know, sometimes I think you will never be generous to God, really, until you put your mind on hold. You put it in parentheses. When I give to the Lord, I try not to get too heavy into, you know, brainy kinds of calculations. Because giving is a matter of faith. Giving is a matter of responding to spiritual principles. If you try to reason yourself into generosity, you will never do it. It is really something that is explosively spiritual. It is a spiritual act that breaks through things um, in a sovereign, mysterious sort of way. We have been giving to the Lord since uh, we got married and even before that. My wife and I, in times of great need and scarcity in our, in our when we were first young pastors and our church was very small and couldn't give. And we have seen God's hand bless us in so many ways. In these days, we, giving to the Lord for us is not difficult at all. Because we know that it is, a, it is a powerful spiritual tool. It breaks through. Sometimes we wait to have in order to give. And it's the other way around. We give in order to have. That is the principle in Scripture over and over again. If you want to break through poverty, break through scarcity, give to the Lord. Give generously. And your giving will be like a grenade thrown right into the middle of your poverty and your scarcity. Don't wait until you have to give. That is, that is the reasonable thing. That is the mind. But as I say, the mind thinks logically, but the things of the Spirit are processed spiritually. And the Bible is full of these callings to give to the Lord. So this, God has directed this woman. She's not aware of it. When we give to the Lord, we're following God's directions. He has said, give to me. He has instructed us to give generously to his church. He has instructed us to bring our tithes, our offerings to the Lord. The pattern in Scripture is of generosity to the kingdom toward a God that promises that when we do that, he will never allow us to regret it or to find ourselves in lack because we gave to him on the contrary. So God has directed you and me. He has directed us to live generous lives. Don't let your mind, though, interfere with that. This woman, she was impregnated with God's directions. She was spiritually charged. Thankfully, when the prophet's word comes, she is, that, that, that potential energy is turned into kinetic energy. It turned into action. And she is blessed as a result. So the first thing is God directs us. It is God's word. Read the word of God from Genesis to Revelation and see what the thrust of it is. Don't get held into just one little thing about Old Testament, New Testament. Look at the entire flow of God's preaching and teaching on giving. 
And when you see the entire symphony, then you will understand that the best thing to do is to follow God's teaching and to give to the Lord generously. So this woman was directed by the Lord. Secondly, we see that God was directing her to give in a very special, specific way. To give how? To give sacrificially. To give in a way that stretched her. He was directing her to give sacrificially. Now, in the, you know, there's a, there's a funny drama here. Elijah says to her, uh, woman, would you give me some water? And, you know, apparently she's happy to get him some water. Apparently, you know, she was able to get water. Um, that, that was not too hard for her to do, even though it was a time of um, dryness. But she had enough water. Maybe she had a reserve in her house or whatever. So, you know, she goes. And it's, it's interesting because I, I thought about, you know, the, the narrative of the rich young ruler where he says, uh, he says to Jesus, Lord, what must I do to inherit the eternal life? And Jesus says, well, you know, keep the commandments. Sometimes God gives us the easiest part first to kind of set us up for the next piece and to make his lesson really graphic and memorable. So, you know, oh, yeah, sure, I'll, I'll get you some water. That's hospitality. That's general, generic hospitality. But it says, oh, by the way, would you give me a piece of bread? Would you make me some bread? He says, ah, so sorry. Because all that I have is just a little bit of flour and a little bit of olive oil. And it's so little that it's going to be our last meal. We don't know what's going to happen next. We're simply resigning ourselves to die after that. And you will understand, Mr. Prophet, that we can't give you what is so dear to us and so necessary for our own well-being. And of course, God is setting us up and God is setting her up for a major lesson on giving. And you will find this all over the pages of Scripture. And I've always said that this kind of uh, image resolves all the um, controversies about should I tithe, how much, when, if, uh, all of these things that we kind of rack our brains and controversially fight over theologically about how should I give. You know, over and over again, you see the standard. Giving should be scandalous to the Lord. Giving should be hilarious. That's what a cheerful giver means. Giving should be sacrificial. Giving should stretch us. Giving should go beyond the brain and the mind and go into a spiritual realm. Giving should put on hold um, logical considerations and listen to the Spirit. It should be sacrificial. Where is your sacrifice? And we have said that sometimes our faith is so small, so small that sometimes we give to the Lord just a little bit and we feel that we're like, you know, extremely, extraordinarily generous. As your faith stretches, you will see that, you know, there's, there's never enough that you can give to the Lord. And when you give to the Lord, you do it hilariously because you know that you're, you're as I said, you're throwing an explosive into your lack so this is what this image is supposed to You know, I, I, I tell you the truth, unless I were Elijah, I would not dare to say to a woman who's going to give her last piece of food, hey, give to me first and then take care of your own needs. I mean, it, 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 it's got to be God, right? I mean, I wouldn't have the gall, that's the way I put it, to say that to this woman. And yet, that's what, that's what he's asking. Why, is he, why, is he, why does he dare to do that? Because he knows what the results are going to be. 
He knows that um, this is something spiritual here. He knows that as she gives in that realm of foolishness, which is the realm of faith many times, he, the results are going to make themselves felt. And he promises her certain things. You know, and, and, and so he tests her. He doesn't have a huge, uh, you know, pipe line filling up uh, with olive oil, an endless uh, a jug of, you know, some sort. You know, he doesn't have a, a huge reserve of flour right before him that she, she knows that she will enjoy. No, he says, give to me first, and you will not lack for the rest of the time. So, you know, this is, this is the standard. Giving to God should test us. It should stretch our faith. It should cost us something. If you're giving in the realm of commodity and, uh, and comfort, you're not, you're not there where you need to give. You've got to give that point where there's like a little tug on your psyche saying, hey, are you crazy? That's, that's, that's the realm generally when God acts in our life and many other actions that we've taken over. Those of us who move in faith in other ways, we know that sometimes God calls us to do things that are just crazy. And then he, he blesses us. It should cost us something. Last Sunday we saw David um, saying, uh, you know, I will not give to the Lord a sacrifice that doesn't cost me anything. And that is the standard. You know, we also saw the Macedonians giving in Second uh, uh, Corinthians chapter 8. You know, he, they gave from their extreme poverty, says Paul, and from their trials and their persecution. They, they gave an extraordinary offering, more than the Corinthians did that were a prosperous city because they gave all. They, they, uh, they, they were not in a condition to give. And they considered it a privilege. They begged Paul to allow them the privilege of giving to the Lord and to the poor of Jerusalem. Giving to the Lord is a privilege, and we should see it that way. This morning, we, we are asking you, after you have given your regular offerings as you have, to give to the Lord this special offering that will stretch you. And we feel comfortable, like Elijah, doing this. Because we know that God is faithful to those that are faithful to him. We are allowing you the privilege. Pardon my, my uh, <laughs> you know, audacity, if you will. We're giving you the privilege and the opportunity to take an act of faith. To bless your financial life by trusting God as you give him this special offering. You know, as I was praying, this image comes to my mind. When you give to the Lord, you're not only... Um, bringing your finances into the realm of the Lord, the realm of the Spirit, by giving to the church, you are bringing the realm of the Spirit into your life as well, into your finances. So it's a mutual transaction, you see. You're bringing the power of God into your life. And that's what people often don't understand. There's a kind of a compenetration. It's, it's an interactive thing. It works both ways. We don't understand that many times. You're bringing the blessing into your life. And not only are you bringing the blessing or taking the blessing into the kingdom. So it stretched her. God directed her and he directed her give sacrificially. And a, third, a third element here. This, this interesting phenomenon that God chose a poor widow in particular. 
because he wanted to dramatize, he wanted to make uh, clear the idea that everyone has something to give to the Lord. You know, uh, there is no such thing as uh, I don't have anything to give. You always see people giving to the Lord. The, the Magi, I think, for example, came to the, 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 the born child and they gave presents. They gave gifts to um, the Lord. The Bible says, you know, we, we can all give. Why does God choose widows? You know, uh, we sang that song early this morning, and now let the poor say I am rich. Let the, let the weak say I am strong. It's interesting. There's several widows in the Bible. This widow who God uses, there is the, the widows um, uh, who uh, Elisha blesses as well with oil that never stops as well. Because widows were symbols of um, poverty, extreme poverty, extreme destitution. No welfare system, no social security, no uh, other systems to support the poor. Widows were destitute. Nobody wanted to have anything to do with them. They were just a burden. And um, they had nothing to give. There's the widow who gave the mite, the, the, 20, the quarter in the uh, gospel of Luke as well. You know, God loves to choose these outsiders, these images of impotence and extreme weakness. He chooses old people to do things like uh, uh, Abraham and, and uh, the, the parents of, um, of uh, John the Baptist or the, parent, the baron. He chooses many times, um, you know, a child as in the, the, the uh, narrative of the five loaves and the two uh, fish. You know, these are people who don't really have a lot to give. They don't have a lot of agency, to use a fancy word. But God always chooses these things just to show us one thing, which is, you know, giving to him is not about having enough. It's not about uh, being entitled it's not about power. It's not about giving out of sufficiency. It's about a heart that is yielded to God, that obeys what he is calling us to do, and that trusts that the principles that he has established in the universe will function if we obey them and if we navigate them. No matter what our condition is, whether you're rich, whether you're poor, these principles, they function. And so God chooses the most eloquent example of that, which is a widow. He says, I'm going to show you guys that there's nobody who cannot give to me and not be blessed. Do not, do not wait until you have enough. And even if you don't today, start practicing. Start practicing this idea of being generous to the Lord, not depending on what you have or what you don't have. Just depending on God's promises and his principles. And the last, uh, the last I'm going to ask the uh, worship team to get, uh, get ready uh, for our time of giving. There's a fourth principle here that I want to leave with you this morning. God chose this very poor woman, this widow, this destitute person. Why? Yes, to give us a, a, a very frank and uh, dramatic illustration of that, that principle of giving. But also, I think, you know why he chose her? Because he wanted to bless her. 
He wanted to bless her. He wanted to impregnate her with his blessing. She was privileged. I don't know what she did. I don't know what heart she had. But like Mary, God saw in her something that uh, evoked his favor. And he said, you know, I'm going to bless this woman. I'm going to bless her, first of all, by making her a lesson to humanity. And look at us, 3,000 years plus later, here we are in a city that did not exist when this woman, it was just wilderness and craziness here in North America, when this woman was giving to the prophet. And here we are, these thousands of years later, speaking about her and deriving great blessing and energy from meditating on her action. God wanted to bless her, and he blessed her beyond her wildest dreams. Not only did, does he bless her financially, I mean, he blessed her with something that I prefer anytime, with uh, greatness, notoriety, moral grandiosity, if you will, moral stature. She becomes a symbol for humanity of this great, powerful God that honors us when we honor him. And, I, and I, that's important because, you know, sometimes uh, I think we preachers in our zeal to get people to give, we appeal to their worst nature. Say, give God money and you're going to get money back. And, you know, we just uh, exaggerate uh, the, the dimension of monetary gain when you give to the Lord. And we stoke people's avarice, if you will, many times. Um, and we exaggerate sometimes as well. You know what I love about the way God gives is that he gives abundantly, he gives creatively, he gives in a very diversified sort of way. You know, he not only gives you financial blessing, I mean, he gives you his peace, his shalom. He gives you his encompassing blessing. He blesses your family. He blesses your health. Look at how he resurrected this woman's child. You know, if she would have been alone, maybe this kid had a ticking time bomb inside his body. And when he dies, you see the story later on, her son dies and the prophet is there. And she appeals to the prophet and Elijah heals her son, re resurrects him. So this woman was blessed, not just monetarily because she was able to eat, you know, endlessly until uh, abundance came back into the land. He blessed her with greatness. He blessed her and, uh, with, with uh, the resurrection of her son. And I want you to understand that. You know, I want you to take the big picture of giving to the Lord. I want you to understand that when you, when you live in God's approval, I mean, you, you only have one way, and that is up for your life. Up and maybe sideways, because he, he expands your territory, as, as in Jabez's uh, prayer. You know, this blessing in serving God, this blessing in giving to God, this blessing in volunteering for his kingdom. You know, don't, don't, don't take this, uh, you know, skimpy, you know, narrow way of measuring God's blessing. Take the long, expansive view and let your life uh, run its course, you know, without uh, being too concerned about the fluctuations in your, the zeros in your account. Just, just, just serve and watch. As time goes by, you see the blessing of God expand itself in your life.
Your relatives will be blessed by your, your life. Children will be blessed. Mysteriously, uh, you know, there will be like a wind uh, that pushes your sails. Forgive me if I'm getting too poetic here. Um, forward with, without great effort. We've seen it in our life, you know. It's, it's just the, the, this uh, aroma of God just spreads all over your life. So live your life, you know, with that great expectation of general blessing following you all the days of my life. As the, the psalmist says, surely what is the goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. You know, that, that's, what I, that's what I expect. I live in that. You know, God's mercy, I go left and it goes left. I go right, it goes right. I go ahead, it goes ahead of me. It just follows me. I'm a magnet for God's blessing. <laughs> I believe that. And you are. You can be too. You got to live in that conviction, my brothers and sisters. You know, when you just look at your situation, when you just concentrate on your immediate life, like, there's like a little uh, aura right around your feet. When you're just looking there, you're missing the point. You got to look ahead as you give. You got to look at the grand picture. You got to look at this God that says, my blessing will follow you until the end of your life. And, it, and I will bless your children. I will bless the, your loved ones. I will bless you in every way. I will bring you into moral greatness. This is what this woman was brought into. So he chose her, not because he wanted to manipulate her. Many times people accuse the church of Jesus Christ of manipulating people and of wanting to just extract money from them. I mean, can you imagine the news uh, in, in uh, you know, 3,000 years ago, 1,000 years before Christ, the news, you know, prophet asks poor woman to give her, to give him his, her last meal. And I could see this journalist, you know, taking that and just uh, going to town with poor Elijah. You know, but they, the, 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 again, rational people don't understand the mysteries behind God's system. Actually, Elijah was doing her the greatest favor of all. He was bringing her into the blessing of God. So God is doing that with you this morning. You may not know it, but he's directing you. He's speaking to you. He is uh, speaking to you about giving sacrificially and generously. He's teaching you that no matter where you are right now, I mean, uh, if you're in God's blessing, He will, he will open doors. Uh, he will, he will um, do extraordinary things, and you're not too poor to give to Him. You're not too limited. And again, you do as you feel in your heart. And again, he, he wants to bless you. This is the gestalt. This is the very ethic of uh, the kingdom. Everything pushes in that direction. That he allows you because he has a good, good plans for your life. And so there's this element of investment. Until you invest, you cannot get a return. Even in the kingdom of God, where salvation is free. But the benefits... The earthly benefits of that salvation, they require an investment. That is sheer kingdom economy. And so would you bow your head for a moment? And I want to give thanks to the Lord for the privilege of uh, being in this moment, which attests me. Um, it tests me to ask people to give and it tests me to give. 
But at this point, I consider it a huge blessing. And I want you to take a moment there. Think about what you're doing. This is sublime. This is a millennial. For thousands of years, these principles have been ex being exercised in the lives of God's people in Israel, in the Middle East, other parts of the Middle East, in Africa, in Latin America, China, uh, the West, North America. For hundreds and hundreds of years, pastors like me have been asking God's people give for particular undertakings. And uh, we have sweated and hesitated. And God's people have said yes. And God's people have been blessed. So this morning, I want you to be blessed. I want you to have the privilege of giving to the Lord. And again, I stress to my, uh, my visitors and to those that are not prepared, that is quite okay. Don't worry. And, you know, you can bring your, your offering next Sunday. We're humble here. And uh, we will accept it. But do give to the Lord. And Father, we thank you. You are such a mysterious, constant, generous God. And we are swimming in your grace. We're swimming in your glory. We are breathing your atmosphere. I thank you for the privilege of toiling under your gaze of testing my biology time and time again by wrestling with these spiritual principles. And we don't want it any other way, Father. I pray that we will always, as a church, be straining toward greater faith, greater maturity, greater trust in you. Lord, I bless each family here represented. I bless each home here represented. I bless those that have a lot and those that don't have a lot. It does not matter. I bless those who will not be able to give anything because they don't have anything, literally, at this moment. But Father, we will not be content until we see your promises realized in, on their behalf and until you bring them into that level of faith that will allow you to push through and to prosper them in extraordinary ways. So bless your people. May this be a moment of great peace and joy. No burden of any sort except complete contentment as we engage in this beautiful drama and we give you all the honor and all the glory in Jesus name and God's people say amen praise the Lord